Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Good morning to you again, uh, and a happy Easter to you. Let, let's, let's try that again. He is risen. I love to hear that. What beautiful music. You know he's risen indeed, not just on Easter Sunday, but on the Monday after, and next month and the month after that, and every day of the year, Jesus Christ is still risen from the dead. I don't know about you, but often I live as if that's not true. Are you that way? This morning we're going to see that, that it is true, that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave 365 days of the, week, of the year. Easter matters. Easter matters. We're in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 this morning. Now, my name is Harrison. I'm one of the pastors at EP. This is the first time I've gotten to be with you face-to-face on Easter Sunday. Uh, last year we had this little thing called a pandemic that uh, made us do this in a different way. It's good to see faces. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 50. This is the word of our Lord. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, thank you for the privilege of coming to you in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for the privilege of meeting together as a body of believers. I pray that we never, ever take that for granted. Father, as you open up your word this morning, I pray that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that you would transform us by your amazing grace, that you would fill us with hope anew. Father, fix our eyes on you. And Father, for this one that would open your word and preach this morning, I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase, that you would be the one that is honored and glorified and you would be transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, uh, we were living in, uh, in France, church planting with MTW, and we had traveled from our hometown of Lyon up to Paris to, uh, for, for a few days of just touring things like the Louvre and Notre Dame and stuff like that. And on one particular uh, day, we were uh, in Notre Dame, the Cathedral of Notre Dame, and we'd gone to one of the rooms that housed all the vestments of all the pontiffs of all the centuries gone by, and, and it, was, it was a sight to behold. Um, it's somewhat of a gaudy sight, but it was a sight to behold. And you know, you're, 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 you're walking through this room, and there's these gold uh, vestments, and they're worth millions and millions of dollars, I guess. And they're hidden behind glass, locked glass, and you can't touch them. You know, they're, it's all dustproof, and they're protected and stuff. We walk into another room, um, like a cathedral, like a, a, a sanctuary, 
And along the, the walls were, were these statues of all these, these saints, you know, all these different saints. They all had names, and, and people were praying to all these different saints. And there were, um, in fact, you could buy for 10 francs a, a candle, like a votive candle, and you could light it, and you could put it at the foot of your favorite saint and say a prayer to that saint. So I guess if you're praying, you could pray for your, your house to sell or um, you could, you know, for your dog. Uh, if it's your cat, you would probably need three or four votive candles because, <laughs> you know, well, we don't have to go there. <laughs> um, so um, I need to stop picking on cats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, sort of. So anyway, so you could pray, you could pray for more serious things like uh, broken relationships, um, for, for life, for health, uh, for forgiveness of sin. Uh, so, but these people had, had purchased hundreds, if not thousands, of these little votive candles at 10 francs a piece and put them around the room. We'd walked all the way down the right side and just bank after bank of these candles and walk across the back. They were walking down this side. And we're, I don't know, maybe three or four saints from the end. <laughs> And I'm having this very contemplative moment in the quietness of my own mind, you know, wondering why we feel like we've got to pray to these stone statues and these dead saints when, when Christ has invited us into the throne room of grace with freedom and confidence. And behind me, I hear this voice of this little child that says, birthday candles. <laughs> and I know, I know. It's one of mine. And I, I even know which one it is. And I look over my shoulder, and sure enough, folks, there are hundreds of prayers that have gone up in smoke. <laughs> because she's blown out a whole bank of them. And I, I looked at Sandy, and, and we exchanged this glance that said, let's get out of here. And the Americans left the building as quick as we could. You know... The reality is we're, we're not unlike the folks that prayed the, paid the 10 francs for the votive candle and put it at the feet of the, the stone statues. We put our hope in things, the stuff of earth, quite often, don't we? The stuff of earth that does not uh, ever reach where we think it's going to reach. We put our hope in long life. We put our hope in, uh, in, in possessions. Uh, we put our hope in being good. We, we put our hope in being better than somebody else. Uh, we put our hope in success. We put our hope in our looks. We put our hope in our cars and our boats. We put our hopes in other stuff, the stuff of earth. C.S. Lewis said, it's like making mud pies in the slum on a, day at, a holiday at the beach is what's offered to us. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a greater hope, a hope that matters. A hope that's given to us by the grace of God. A forgiveness that's given to us by the grace of God. All wrapped up in the resurrection. Listen, if there's no resurrection of the grave, from the grave, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if Jesus Christ is still in the tomb, if he's still in the tomb, then our hope is in vain. Grace doesn't exist. And forgiveness is a myth. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. Let me show you why and let me show you how. 
when it comes to forgiveness, look in verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He says that in several different ways in this passage. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Mortal cannot put on immortality. It, it cannot happen. Why? Why can't it happen? Because of sin. Imperishable means just that, imperishable. It means it cannot perish. But because of sin, though, we're separated from God. God's here. We're here, if you can imagine that, okay? When, when we were created in the garden, there was, there was sinlessness. There was no sin. And man walked with, guard, with God in the garden, sin-free. The day is going to come in heaven when we get to walk with God again in that same way. At this point, though, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, um, you've been separated from God, but there's been sin here, and someone has removed that sin. As long as sin is between man and God, then we, we're not reconciled, and we cannot have that fellowship with him. Why is that? Well, in Romans 3.23, we read that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God's glory, God's holiness is here because of our sin, we're here. We're separated from God. In Hebrews, in chapter 8, in verse 12, puts it like, I'm sorry, in verse 12, verse 14, chapter 12, verse 14, we'll get it right. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you catch that? Without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, we cannot see God. We cannot be reconciled to God because there is no holiness, because there is sin. God's here, we're here. Sin separates us from God. Somehow that sin's got to be moved. And unless someone moves that sin on our behalf, we cannot see the Father again. Unless Jesus Christ forgives us of that sin, we will not see the Father again. The only way that can happen is for Jesus to deal with it. He can't overlook it. He can't pretend it doesn't exist. He can't just wish it away. The resurrection is important because if the resurrection did not occur, then that death, that sin, has defeated Jesus. What you see in verse 50, 55 is not true. Where it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If there's no resurrection from the grave, then death and sin are the victor. And Jesus Christ is the loser. Death and sin are then God's more so than Jesus is God. Jesus, in fact, is found out to be a liar. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. But if, if death and sin are the victor, then death and sin are God's, and Jesus is not. And Jesus is nothing but a liar, and the whole thing's a hoax. And what are you doing here on this Easter morning to begin with? The resurrection matters, my friend. It matters for forgiveness. Can a holy God overlook our sin, though? Can he just, I mean, he's here, we're here. There's sin between us that's getting in the way of our relationship. He wants the relationship reconciled. Why can't he just overlook it and, you know, just go around it, go over it, go under it, just maybe brush it aside? There's a couple reasons for that. One, because he loves us too much. Because he loves us, he's not going to leave our sin undealt with. Now, we love God, but often we love our sin more than we love God. Isn't that true? It's true for me. I might not say it out loud. I just did, I suppose. I might not admit it on a day-to-day -day basis, but the reality is there's times when I love my sin more than I love God. At least I act like that. 
I don't want him to do away with my sin. I want to hang on to it. I want to put it in my pocket. I want to put it behind me. I want to hide it in this corner of my life. I don't want God to do away with my sin. I want him to overlook it so I can hang on to it. And truth be told, every one of us in this room are the same way. We like to hang on to the stuff. God won't let us do that. He loves us too much to let us hang on to our sin. As we sang a few moments ago, the chains are gone. The chains are gone. The sin's gone. Jesus Christ has dealt with it. He cannot overlook it, but he can forgive it. Someone has to pay for that sin. All sin has to be covered. You can't cover your sin and someone else's sin. Jesus can because he's sinless. He's sin free. He can't overlook it, but he, has, he can deal with it. 1 John chapter 2. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. So he, he can't overlook it because he, he loves us. He can't overlook it, secondly, because he, his way of dealing with sin is wrath. The propitiation here is that his wrath has been placed on his son, Jesus Christ. Propitiation is one of my favorite words. It's probably not a word that you and I use on a, regular, on a regular day. You know, it's not something you wake up in the morning and say, good morning, honey, propitiation. You know, we, we don't do that, but it's an awesome word. You know what it means? It means the same in Greek as it does in English. It means a sacrifice that satisfies. Get that? A sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God and turns it to favor. A sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God and turns it to favor. So it covers both sides of that. Propitiation means, when it says Jesus is our propitiation, it means that he has taken the wrath of God for us upon himself. And then he has turned it to favor. He is that God. So he, God doesn't overlook sin. He deals with our sin. He pours that wrath out on Jesus Christ. But our faith, even in that, is futile if there is no resurrection. Look back at verse 14 of the same chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In verse, verse 16, if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the, from the grave, then his propitiation is just a hoax. It's, it's mythical. His crucifixion was a waste. Your faith is futile. It's in vain if there is no resurrection from the dead. You can't be forgiven by Christ. You certainly can't forgive anyone else. You can't even forgive yourself if there's no resurrection from the dead. But because there is a resurrection from the grave, you are forgiven by Christ if you have faith in him. And you can forgive yourself and you can forgive others. Do you sometimes struggle just to forgive yourself? Do you? You sometimes hang on to sin that God has let go of? In Hebrews 8... Verse 12, God says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. Another word that just means big sin. I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. You and I want to hang on to them, but God's forgotten them. It's not that he forgets them intellectually. It's that he forgets them when it comes to your account. It's, your sins are not written to your account any longer if you have faith in Jesus Christ. 
He's done with it. He is remembering it no more. My friends, if Christ has forgotten them, then how in the world can we hang on to them? We hang on to them because we pretend that we are more holy than God is, that we've got to hang on to them. He might forgive them, but I can't forgive them, so we don't forgive ourselves. Listen, I don't know what sin you've committed in the last, I don't know, 24 hours, 24 minutes, 24 seconds, 24 days. I don't know. 24 years. I don't know. But I know that we're all the same when it comes to this. We all, we all hang on to sin. We're hesitant to forgive ourselves. My friends, you are free. Because the tomb is empty, you are free of that. And Jesus Christ remembers your sin no more. Let go of it yourself. Be free from it. Not only be free of the, your own sin, be, be free from the sins that you, you hang on to, that you, you put to others' account. Forgive others. Because of the resurrection, you can do that. You can be done with it. In Romans, in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he puts it like this. He said, for our sake, for your sake and my sake, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It means when God the Father is looking at you, he's not looking at you with a catalog and account of your sin. He's looking at you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says that person looks like Jesus. That person looks like Jesus. The same righteousness that he has in his son Jesus Christ, he has in you. That you might become the righteousness of Christ. Forgiveness we have because the resurrection matters, because the resurrection is true. That resurrection we have that's true, we have because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not something we could earn. It's not something we deserve. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We certainly can't earn God's forgiveness. We've seen that. Let's look at it a little bit deeper. Verse 56 says, The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something that you can purchase. It can't be good enough. Being better than somebody else isn't, isn't good enough to earn you that victory. It's got to be a gift. In Romans 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. My friends, the law wasn't designed, it wasn't designed by God to make you approvable unto God. The law wasn't designed to reconcile you to the Father. The law defines sin, but it doesn't take the sin away. Someone else has to do that for us, and that someone else is Jesus Christ. So we can't earn our way, we can't be good enough and we we can't be gooder than someone else in order to find our, our, our way back to God to be holy enough to God that's typically what we do though as long as we can find somebody else that we're a little better than then we're going to have eternal life with the father is that better than game right 
when I was in high school, uh, I was a wrestler. Uh, I wasn't a great wrestler, but I was a wrestler. Um, in, in, my, in my town, that mattered a little bit somehow. We had, wrestling was more popular in my hometown than football was or basketball or, or baseball or track or anything else. We, we, we did wrestling and we did it, we did it well. Uh, we were tenacious. We usually had our wrestling matches at the, at the junior college so that we could have a gym that was big enough. On this particular night, the gym was packed. We were wrestling a, a large school from Birmingham, Alabama. The, uh, one of their, their lead wrestlers was a guy named Jay who had won two, two state championships in a row. Uh, Jay was a senior. I was a sophomore. Jay was really good. I was adequate at best. Jay pinned everybody he came up against. Everybody. He had pinned everybody for two years. My goal in the match wasn't to win the match. My goal in the match was just to not be pinned. That's all I want. If I could escape without being pinned, it'd be a victory for me. So for six minutes, you have three two-minute periods in a wrestling match. Two minutes, two minutes, and two minutes. For six minutes, I lived just to not hear the the referee do this. Bam! On the mat. Ouch, that hurt. Um, I I just wanted to not not hear the, the referee slap the mat, you know? To, to not be pinned. So for six minutes, I, I, I was, my back was to the mat, but my body was like an arch. And so the, um, I'm not going to play it out for you, but imagine, imagine that my feet are flat on the floor, okay, on the mat, and the top of my head, not the back, but the top of my head is flat on the mat, and my body's just this arch thing. Jay did everything he could for six minutes short of biting me to try and get my shoulders on the mat, and he couldn't do it. So when the referee blew that final whistle, and, and I realized that I had done what no one else had done in two years, that I had not been pinned by Jay, I jumped probably four feet off the ground. I just knew I was the victor. I was better than everybody else. And then the referee grabbed Jay's hand, and he grabbed my hand, and I'm thinking, victory, and the whole crowd's cheering and shouting, you know, it's a really fun time. And then the referee raises Jay's hand, and he keeps mine down. You know what that means? It means Jay's the victor and I'm the loser. It's the way it was. We can compare ourselves all day long to everybody else, and we can always find somebody that we're better than. We can. But it's not enough. It's not enough. Without Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. We're dead. We cannot be good enough. We have to have the grace of God in order to have life eternal. Grace matters. Galatians chapter 2. If righteousness could be obtained by the law, then Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be obtained by our efforts, Christ died for nothing. In Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast if you can't be good enough for it, you've got, it's got to be a gift if you're going to have it. It's a gift from none other than Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, though, is futile, and you're still in your sins. Your faith is not futile because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because the tomb is empty. So my friends, when it, when it comes to, to your relationship with the Lord this morning, I encourage you to relax and rejoice. 
Forgiveness matters, grace matters, the resurrection matters. Your faith is enough if your faith is in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is enough. And if we look at him, we say, Lord, you're not enough. And we're gonna add something to what you've already done. Even if we just pretend that we're doing that, my friends, what we're doing is we're shaking our fist in his face and we're saying, you're not God enough for me. I've got to be more. And all we're doing when we do that, we're just jamming the thorns a little deeper into his head. We're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. Die some more. Oh, my friends, if Jesus isn't enough, then our faith is in vain. Our faith is futile. But he is enough. He has defeated hell. He has defeated sin. The the passage says in verse 55, death is swallowed up in victory. By grace you have been saved, and that's through faith in Christ alone. The resurrection proves that the grace of Jesus Christ is enough, and that his payment, his payment is complete. It's done. Paid in full. Because the payment is in full and grace is enough, my friend, your hope is in something that matters. Your hope isn't in something that, that's a statue on a wall. Your hope doesn't have to be in a candle. It doesn't have to be in a long life. It doesn't have to be in success. It doesn't have to be in, in someone's approval. Your hope can be in something that's imperishable. Your hope can be in Christ and Christ alone. In, in Romans 8, in, in verse 34, Romans 8, 34, Paul connects the resurrection of Jesus Christ with his intersection, his intercession on our behalf. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I want you to get that picture in your head, okay? Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and is interceding for you. That means he's having a conversation about you. Right now, even while we're sitting here, Jesus Christ is having a conversation with God the Father about you as an individual, about me. I don't know what he's saying. Maybe he's saying, hey, hey, Father, can we talk about Peter Polk for a few moments? How cool is that? The passage goes on. And it says, who shall separate us from the love of of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Think about it. Jesus is talking to the Father and all these other things are coming at you. And are any of these other things gonna come between Jesus and the Father as they're talking about you? Anything? Your hope is not in vain. Your hope is not futile. Your hope is not in something so wimpy as a statue or so temporary as your success or your life here on earth. Your hope is in the one that is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. But you've got to think about this. He is not seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, if he's still in the grave. If Jesus Christ is still in the tomb, then no one, no one, is sitting with God the Father interceding on your behalf. Because he is raised from the dead, then he's interceding for you.
Paul uses the word imperishable over and over and over again. It means just that, imperishable. Imperishable. It will not perish. Your life will not perish. Your earthly life will perish. Yes. Yes, your earthly life will perish. You will breathe your last breath here on earth unless Jesus Christ comes first, which will be great. But unless he does, and you will breathe your last breath here on earth. But my friends, listen. When you do, you'll breathe your first breath in heaven. Your soul is imperishable. And the day is going to come when there's a resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus Christ is our first fruit, is what we read in 1 Corinthians 20, 15, sorry, chapter 15, verse 20, that he is our first fruit. Because he is our first fruit, that means there's others. That means it's us. We also have the resurrection uh, from the dead. We have life forever with Christ. Your hope is not in vain. Verse 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. First breath in heaven, a place where death is no more, where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. My friends, you have hope because the resurrection is true. Christian hope is, is different than optimism. Optimism is a, a guesswork. Optimism is a earthly hope that something's going to get better. It's an earthly hope that the pandemic's going to be over. An earthly hope that, that someone's actually going to call. I'm actually going to get a vaccine. You know, it's an earthly hope that, you know, there's earthly hopes. But those are, that's optimism. Your hope, your biblical hope in Christ and Christ alone is sealed because the tomb is empty. Read the story recently of some scouts that were in a, a, a cave, a cavern um, in Wyoming. It was a cavern system, and they'd gone in one, and, and they'd gotten lost. You know, they'd gone down one this way, and then went that way, and went this way, and that way, and they can't find their way out. And they've got their headlamps on, and they see the stalactites and the stalagmites. And it's a beautiful scene in this big room, but they're lost, and they don't know how to get out. Where's their hope? Their hope is dashed, and some of them are beginning to panic. The scoutmaster tells them to turn off their lights, which seems like a really silly thing to do when you're lost, right? Turn off your lights. So they all turn off their little headlamps, and they look in the distance off to the right, and there's a pinpoint of light that they could not see with their lights on. But they see the pinpoint of light, and they realize we have a way out. We have hope from a pinpoint of light. My friends, your hope is not in a pinpoint of light. Your hope is in is in the, the empty tomb. The sun came up this morning on an empty cross. The sun came up this morning on an empty tomb. The sun came up this morning on a risen Savior. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer yet in a room this size of this many people, that's, that's probable, not possible, but probable even. Probable. You might be listening to this and think, well, I, I, just, I just don't know. It just seems so far-fetched. My friends, there's nothing more real than the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more real than God himself who has given you Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for you in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you because of his love for you. 
If you're here this morning and you're wrestling with the fact that God might have forgiven you because you just don't, you don't think you're forgivable, my friend, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ isn't built, isn't bent, isn't determined by how great your sin is or how small your sin is. It's based on the propitiation, the sacrifice that satisfies of Jesus Christ. And that's enough for your sin, my sin, and for all of us. If you're here this morning, you're struggling with hope. You just don't have hope anymore. The year's been really, 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 really hard. It has for all of us. Harder on, on some than others. And you're struggling to find the hope. My friends, even if our hope, if, even if we place our hope in the end of a pandemic, even if we place our hope in a long life here on earth, we're hoping for too little. We're settling for less than the best. For Christ gives us a hope that is imperishable. Everything else is perishable. He gives us a hope that's imperishable because he himself is imperishable. We know that because the tomb is empty. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the fact that we can come before you in freedom and confidence. Lord, thank you for reconciling us to yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for sealing our hope eternal. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray that you would renew our hope, that you would remind us again and again and again for the many times that we forget, Lord, that you would remind us that we're forgiven and you have called us to be new creations. Father, pour your grace out on us. We are in desperate need of it. We know that because of the empty tomb, because of the resurrection from the grave, we have it. In Jesus' name, amen.